It is a spring afternoon in London, the year 1927. The court of Mr. Justice Tuttington at the Royal Courts of Justice, King's Bench Division, is in full session and about to begin the trial of an action for libel. For the plaintiff, Sir Wilfred Kelly, KCMP. For the defendants, Mr. Thomas Foxley, KC. There's a plan of the courtroom on page 44 of the Christmas edition of the Radio Times. Page 44. You, the listeners, are to form a jury. The jury are sworn in the case of Lutton and the Daily Gazette. Mr. William Bale, the junior counsel for the plaintiff, has risen to open the case formally by reading the pleadings. <coughs> May it please your lordship, members of the jury. The plaintiff, Sir Mark Ladenbart, by his statement of claim, is claiming damages from the defendants, the proprietors, printers and publishers of the newspaper called the Daily Gazette, in respect of a libel alleged to have been published of and concerning him and the said newspaper. The defendants in their defense state that insofar as the said words consist of allegations of fact, they are in true in substance and in fact. And insofar as they consist of expressions of opinions, they are fair comment made in good faith and without malice upon the said facts, which are matters of public interest. On those, please, issues are joined. And those are the issues which you have to try. May it please you, my lord. Members of the jury, in this case, I appear with my learned junior, Mr. Bale, for the plaintiff, Sir Mark Ludden. And the defendants who are the proprietors of that well-known, I might almost say that notorious newspaper, the Daily Gazette, have the advantage of being represented by my learned friends, Mr. Puxley and Mr. Hemsby. It is an action of the very greatest public and private importance. In view of that most unusual importance, I deliberately propose to let the facts speak for themselves at this stage. You shall learn the story from the witnesses, not from me. And I shall defer to a later stage of the comment, which I have no doubt you will consider a libel of this character so flagrantly provokes and so abundantly justifies. The plaintiff is Sir Mark Ludden, the third baronet of his name, the fortunate inheritor of one of the finest and oldest properties in Norfolk. The short question in this case is whether the plaintiff is entitled to that rank, that name, that estate. I might go further and say well, you will have to decide whether Sir Mark is entitled to be the husband of his wife or the father of her child. Let me read you the libel which gives rise to this action. The <clears throat> paragraph is headed Political Imposture and continues... The legislator recently returned to the House of Commons as Sir Mark Ludden Bart MP is not a baronet, not even a Ludden, and can hardly be accurately described as a member of Parliament as he secured his return by practicing on the electorate the same deliberate fraud that he practiced on his wife. Now remember, members of the jury, that those terrible allegations were published in the columns of the Daily Gazette and must have reached almost everyone identified with its enormous circulation. Did they appear in some so-called society paragraph? No, my lord. They appeared with special prominence in a paragraph on their main page. 
The jury will, of course, have copies of the paper later on. I see. Thank you, Sir Wilfred. Members of the jury, I'm not going to insult you by explaining the libelous imputations conveyed by those words. You may ask yourselves what motive could underlie them. And you will perhaps not be surprised to learn that Sir Mark had successfully advocated politics of a creed opposed to those intermittently promulgated by the defendant newspaper when conducive to their own circulation. I thought my learned friends, I will be no. saying, informed us he was proposing to let the facts speak for themselves. <laughs> I am flattered by my friend Mr. Foxley's attention to my observations. <laughs> and even so, members of the jury, you may like to remember that if Sir Mark Ludden is not Sir Mark Ludden, his child Ronald will never be Sir Ronald Ludden. And those broad acres and family dignities would pass to another, Captain Gerald Ludden. Let me say just one word in reference to that gentleman, members of the jury. At first impression, you might expect me to call Captain Ludden in support of my case. He at least should be reasonably familiar with and certain of his own cousin's identity. Things are not always what they seem. He is, I understand, in court. Ah, yes, there he is. But I tell you frankly, I shall not call him. It may be that you may have the fallacious surprise of seeing him called by my learned friend, Mr. Foxley. I hope you may. I should very much like to ask Captain Ludden some questions in reference to the history of this litigation. I'm much obliged for my learned friend Sir Wilfred's anticipations of my case, however intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> well, members of the jury, we must wait and see if the defence dare to do so. But as far as my case is concerned, I shall call the plaintiff Sir Mark Ludden, and I shall then formally produce his nearest relations in support. First and foremost, and naturally, his wife, Lady Ludden. And then there may, of course, be others. But you will not forget that the defendants have what is known as justified their allegations. That is to say, they have come here prepared to prove their truth or to pay for their recklessness. What evidence they may have to support such literally unprecedented suggestions, I know not. But I do not envy my learned friend the task he has undertaken in endeavouring to sustain them in this court and before an English jury. <clears throat> uh, Smart Ludden. Take the testament in your right hand. You swear by Almighty God. I swear by Almighty God. The evidence you shall give. The evidence I shall give shall be the truth. Shall be the truth. The whole truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. And nothing but the truth. You are Sir Mark Ludden, third baronet of Ingworth Hall in the county of Norfolk. That is so. You were educated at uh, Eton and Sandhurst, and then obtained the commission in the rifle brigade. Yes. I think you went to France with your battalion in August 1914. Yes. Uh, then you were wounded and taken prisoner at the Battle of the Marne. I was. What wounds did you sustain at that battle, Sir Mark? I was shot through both thighs and badly shell-shocked. I believe the farm in which you lay wounded was set on fire by the enemy's guns, and you were nearly burnt to death before you were rescued by the enemy. Very nearly. What effect did that terrible experience have on you? Those few hours that summer afternoon turned my hair grey. 
almost white, as you see it now. Yes. What happened after you were taken prisoner? I was in a German hospital for three months and then sent to an officer's prison camp at Hobheim. When were you released? I was never released. I escaped in October 1918. I reached the Belgian frontier three days before the armistice. And then? Then I made my way fairly easily to the English lines and was invalided home. What did you do then? I retired from the army. I had a long rest cure. After six months or so, I was as well as I suppose I shall ever be. And I married my wife. You have recently entered public life and were last autumn elected member of parliament for the Raynham Division of Norfolk. Yes. We don't want to introduce politics... But is it right to say that your party does not enjoy the support of the Gazette? Not even in its most versatile phases. <laughs> yes, yes. What is the present state of your health? Oh, uh, subject to a bit of a limp, I can indulge in any reasonable physical effort. Now, what about mental effort? Oh, I suppose I mustn't say too much about that. I don't complain, you know. Apart from memory... What of your memory? I have practically no recollection at all of events or persons before my imprisonment. We shall hear what the doctors say about it, but roughly they attribute it to shock. Shell shock and the shock of your experience in that fire on the mark. Yes, I don't doubt they're right. Now, I want to turn for a moment to the libel, which is the subject of this action. Yes? The jury have heard the allegations of which you complain, Sir Mark. Is there a word of truth in them? They're an infamous lie. Has anyone else any right to your title, estates, or position? No, not a soul in the world. Has any member of your family at any time displayed any difficulty in uh, identifying you? Not one. Until this paragraph appeared. Apart from you and your son, who would come into your property and title? My cousin, Gerald Lutton. On what terms have you been? Oh, uh, most friendly terms until about uh, 18 months ago. What uh, caused the rupture? A certain poor type of Canadian was at the same camp with me. About two years ago, he turned up at Ingworth Hall and began trying to blackmail me by, by asking for... Really, my lord, I'm most reluctant to interrupt my friend or his witness, but uh, aren't they going rather beyond the limits of relevance? I'm always anxious to oblige my friend, my lord. But, uh, Mr. Mark... We won't go into the blackmail incident. You're very well. I'm much obliged to my learned friend. I know that he's always most anxious. The rules of evidence are really rules of brevity. We must try for our own sakes to observe them. I think I have only one more question to put you, Sir Mark. Yes? How did you first learn of this libelous publication? Oh, I, I had dozens of copies sent me by friends and constituents... But I first read it in my own copy of the paper. You see, I happen to be a registered reader of the Gazette. I don't agree with its views, but uh, <laughs> I've always liked all sorts of fiction. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mark. So you've always liked all sorts of fiction, have you? Yes, Mr. Boxley, I said so. You've indulged that liking to a rather abnormal extent, haven't you? Oh, what do you mean? I am suggesting that ever since November 1918, you've indulged in the unscrupulous fiction of being an English baronet. That's an infamous libel, Mr. Foxley, for which your clients will have to pay. Of being the lawful owner of the London estate. Another damnable lie, a damnable lie. Come and most unscrupulous fiction of all, of being entitled to woo and marry your wife. My wife doesn't require the protection of the gutter press. On my instructions, I am not so sure. Your instructions. Now... <clears throat> Before we go any further, I, I, I want to be quite clear that you don't wish to suggest 
to the jury that any physical or mental disability, prison or escape experiences could possibly make you believe you were someone other than yourself? No, I do not. You've sustained no injury that could make Frank Wellney honestly believe he was Sir Mark Lutton. Of course not. Whom did you say, Mr. Foxley? Frank Wellney, my lord. Who is Frank Wellney? Uh, if your lordship would allow me to explore that in my own way. Certainly, Mr. Foxley. <laughs> um, you, Sir Mark, at least have heard of a man called Frank Wellney. Certainly. He was a Canadian officer. I believe so. Did you ever know him? Yes. I was at the same prison camp in Germany. So I believe. For how long? Nearly four years. And when did you last see him? Let me see. It would be... Uh, uh, yes, well, uh, uh, let me try and help you. Did you shave yourself this morning? Yes. Why? Didn't you see him then? What do you mean? Uh, my lord, it is necessary for my friend to be so deliberately offensive in the form uh, of his question. <coughs> I must assume that Mr. Foxley is only cross-examining from his instructions, which, of course, would involve... Well, I think you must let him pursue his own line, Sir Wilfred. I'm much obliged to my learned friend for his attempt to assist me uh, to conduct my case. <coughs> and now, Sir Mark, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I will call you that for the moment. Oh, thank you. I am suggesting that you are Frank Wellney and that he is you. It is a shameful lie without any foundation at all. And that because you are Wellney, you know what became of Ludden. I refuse to answer that suggestion. Uh, the jury will perhaps hear of a number of actions committed by Wellney which I suggest were committed by you because you are, in fact, well-made. It is a vile fabrication. Oh, then it would be a waste of time for me to put them to you specifically. You would deny them all. Naturally. I'm sworn to tell the truth. Uh, I will ask your lordship uh, to make a note of that reply. Certainly. In the interest of time, I think I can dispense with a very large number of those other questions. I am sure the jury will appreciate any condensation which has that result. If your lordship is. Now, tell me, Sir Mark, who was Frank Wellney? He described himself as a captain in the Canadian Infantry. When did you first see him? When I was at Hobheim Prison Camp. He arrived a few months later. And when do you say you saw him last? When we escaped together in November 1918. We got parted. Got parted? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, why did you get parted? We missed each other in the dark. You missed each other in the dark, yes. Well, is that really... All you can tell me of how you separated? Absolutely all. Very easy to get lost in the mm -hmm. dark. The other fellows had got hold of civilian clothes, but I hadn't. I was in uniform, so we had to move by night. <laughs> now, did anything happen between you and Wellney before you missed each other? No. What do you mean? What could have happened? Well, the jury may hear later what could have happened. Uh, was anyone else in the party of escape? Yes, a man called Buckingham. And who was he? He called himself a Canadian officer. Oh, called himself a Canadian officer. Yes. Yes. I gather that to one so thoroughly imbued with the traditions of the English baronetage, his credentials were not impressive. No, they were not. Well, then that was the party. Sir Mark Lutton, Buckingham and Wellney. Yes, myself and the Canadians. And when did you start? In October 1918. Where from? Hobheim. Where did you separate? On the Belgian frontier. When? In November 1918, about a month after we started. How did you... Separate. I told you, we lost each other in the dark. Which got lost first? Buckingham went off first to forage for food. He didn't come back. I see, yes. Uh, that left Ludden and Wellney together. What happened then? Wellney went off to look for Buckingham. 
He never came back out. Oh, both got lost that same fatal night. Or killed? Ah, uh, killed. That was it, was it? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I only mean Wilney. I know Buckingham is alive, and so do you. Who do you say was killed? Wilney or Ludden? I will not answer that question. You know that I am alive. Oh, yes, yes, I know you're alive. <laughs> well, now, did you make any inquiries at the time about your, shall we say, mislaid companions? Yes, of course I did. And you've never heard from either of them since? Not from Wellney. Uh, do you think that they're dead or alive? I know Buckingham is alive. What of Wellney? Oh, I've no doubt he is dead. Why? Well, I'm sure I should have heard from him if he'd been alive. Would it be a relief to you to learn that he was alive? I tell you, it's impossible. And of course, I don't want anyone dead. I wonder. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, we shall see. <clears throat> now you've told us that you know Buckingham is alive. Yes. How is that? He suddenly turned up at Ingworth Park two years ago, and he tried to blackmail me. To blackmail. Now, why should he want to do that? You know perfectly well, Mr. Foxley. Your clients have been primed to the brim with his allegations. Well, if they have, they, they want the jury to share their knowledge. What were his allegations? That I was not myself. Well, who did he think you were? He pretended to think I was Wellney. Wellney? Ah. Now, would you please describe poor Wellney's appearance to the jury? Oh, nothing peculiar. Very ordinary-looking fellow. Oh, oh, now, come, come, come. I don't want you to be unduly modest. Was he not, in fact, remarkably like you? No. Well, then I'll put my question to you in another way. Wasn't he remarkably like Sir Mark Ludden? I never noticed it. You never noticed it? Never. Did other people notice no. it? Quite sure. Yes. Hmm. I wonder if you remember whether Sir Mark Ludden ever wrote home. You mean did I? Well, if you like to put it that way. Not often. There were... Great difficulties in getting letters through. Now, I wonder if you know whether uh, Sir Mark ever wrote to his cousin Gerald. Did I? Certainly not. At least, uh, not that I remember. Would you look at that letter? The usher will pass it to you. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> now, is it dated 10th of May, 1916? Yes. It seems to be addressed to your dear cousin Gerald. Yes and to be signed Mark Lutton. Do you happen to remember Sir Mark's signature? I'd forgotten. I must have written. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not suggesting that you did. But it looks as though Mark Lutton did. You needn't be so offensive. Of course it is my letter. Is it? Yes. Well, will you please read the last paragraph to the jury? Certainly. <clears throat> there are only two other British prisoners here both Canadians. The prison staff affect to see a remarkable resemblance between me and one of them called Wellney. I can't see it myself. I told you I didn't. Read on to the jury, please. Wellney himself is quite laughably interested in the similarity. Almost feels one of the Ludden family already. Almost feels one of the Ludden family already. Oh, that must have struck you as highly amusing. Let me look at that letter. Now, doesn't that letter recall anything Thank to you? Oh. No, no, it's a long time ago. Oh, that is a pity. 
Now, I wonder if you remember any physical peculiarities about this man, Wellney. No, I can't say I do. No. Well, then I shall have to try and help you. Thank you very much. I'm lucky enough to have an official description of Wellney uh, from the Canadian Army records. Most fortunate. Now, let's see if it helps us at all. Height, five foot ten. That's about your height, isn't it? And a good many millions besides. Mm, I dare say. But if Wellney had happened to be only five foot six, he couldn't have been you. Blue eyes. Now, what color are yours? Can't you see for yourself? And so can the jury, if you will be good enough to look at them. Thank you. Blue. Thick crop of gray, almost white hair. Now, how would you describe yours? How would you describe yours if you'd been through what I went through? To what date does this official description of Wellney relate, Mr. Foxley? To the year 1915, my lord. Suppose a man's hair had not been grey then. It might well be very grey after all these years, Mr. Foxley. I am aware of that, my lord, but... Uh... If indeed it had not largely disappeared as it has for so many of us. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, my lord, uh, that Wellness was prematurely grey so long ago as 1915. It may be my fault, Mr. Foxter, but I don't see how that is going to help us. It is a link in the chain, my lord. Don't they say the strength of a chain is that of its weakest link? Yes, my lord. I hope my chain will bear whatever weight I put on it. Yes, well, we, we must wait and see. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Voxley. Now, this Wellney was also apparently a man who'd lost the first two joints of the first finger of his right hand. Had he? Oh, do you mean to suggest to this court that you don't remember that quite well? Come, oh, come. Oh, yes. Come. Yes, I do remember now. Oh, yes. yes. He had lost a finger. Uh, most of us at that camp had been wounded. Uh, we didn't take too much notice of each other's wounds. Now, I see by my records that a court-martial found that Wellness was a self-inflicted wound. You know what that means. Perfectly. For which Wellness was reduced to the ranks. Very properly, I should say. Oh, I'm glad we have some sentiments in common. How did you lose yours? My finger, do you mean? Yes. By a curious coincidence, you've lost the first finger on your right hand. I don't know about coincidence. And I'm not ashamed of my wounds. How did you lose yours? My finger was shot off by a chance German bullet when I was escaping. When you were escaping? Yeah. Now, that would produce the interesting result that no one who was at the prison camp with you could remember that Sir Mark Lutton had lost a finger. Of course not. But I do, Mr. Fox. Would you mind holding your right hand up to the jury so that they may remember too? Thank you. Now, I wonder if you remember my solicitors asking if you would submit to a medical examination. Perfectly. Why did you refuse? Because I regarded it as an infamous suggestion that any gutter rag should imagine that a gross libel gave them the right to demand a physical inspection of anybody's body. And that was done under my advice, Mr. Buckley. I'm sure it was most excellent advice, Sir Wilfred. <laughs> well, now I'm going to read to the jury... Something else from this official record of the unfortunate Frank Wellney. Has the initials F.W. tattooed on his right forearm? Have he? Yes, yes. Now I come to think of it, yes, I remember he was tattooed. I wonder if you would mind showing my lord and the jury your forearm. What is your suggestion? Oh, I'm glad to make it clear. 
I definitely suggest your right forearm has the letters F.W. tattooed on it. I don't want to conceal anything. Mm. I'm quite prepared to admit my arm is <laughs> tattooed. And has some letters on it. Mm. But not those. May we see for ourselves what they are. Really, my lord, is it necessary for me to submit to every insult from counsel? Mr. Foxley is only doing what he is entitled to regard as his duty for his clients. Do what Mr. Foxley asks, am I? Very well. The heck, while I pull my sleeve back. The letters on F.W. Uh, <clears throat> yes, thank you. Uh, would you show your arm to my lord and the jury? As far as I can see, the initials tattooed on the plaintiff's arm are not F.W., but E.W. That is so, my lord. Oh, please leave your arm exposed. Uh, I wonder if you would satisfy our curiosity by telling us what those initials E.W. stand for. They have rather an intimate explanation, Mr. Foxley. Oh, no, I, I won't press you to reveal any intimacy... But I warn you, I shall comment freely on your inability to explain them. I can't help that, if you've no feeling of decency. I shall suggest that those letters, E.W., were originally F.W. for Frank Welby. It would only require the addition of a single stroke to turn the F into an E, would it not? A single stroke? Yes. Yes, I suppose that's so. Very well. Now I'll give you another chance of explaining those letters. Very well, if you must have it. E is my wife's initial. Her name is Enid. Indeed. Yes. But if the letter was originally F, that explanation would not do. No. But as it never was, that is no difficulty. And what is the W for? The W stands for her maiden name, which was Winterton. And when did you have them tattooed? In Hobheim camp, by a fellow prisoner. Why? To pass the time. Time goes rather slowly in the prison camp. I dare say. It comes to this, doesn't it? Frank Wellney, the Canadian coward had F.W. tattooed on his right forearm before his captivity, and Sir Mark Ludden, the English baronet, had E.W., almost the same letters, tattooed on the same arm during his captivity. Of course, it's only a coincidence, but <laughs> isn't it wonderful? Mm, is it? <laughs> now, I believe Sir Mark Ludden was... Shot through both thighs at the Battle of the Mar. I was. A medical examination would have confirmed. Everyone knows I've walked lame ever since. But everyone doesn't know the reason. I've never hesitated to tell them. I dare say not. It might have been instructive to see those scars. My lord, I'm calling a most eminent doctor on that point. Then it's a pity, Sir Wilfred, you didn't allow our doctor to collaborate in the inspection. Hmm. It comes to this, doesn't it? The only physical peculiarities associated with Ludden up to his captivity were bullet wounds in both thighs. And the only physical peculiarities associated with Welney up to his captivity were prematurely grey hair, a lost finger, and tattooed initials on his arm. I take your word for it. And today, by a remarkable coincidence, your body manages to combine all the physical peculiarities of Ludden and Welney. I see what you mean. Now. If Welney were pretending to be Sir Mark Ludden, that would have to be the case. But if Sir Mark Ludden was not Welney, it wouldn't be necessary for his body to display all the peculiarities of Welney's body. Oh, I call that utter nonsense. <laughs> if I was ever foolish enough to get tattooed, I should be bound to remain tattooed. Yes, but unless you were Welney, you wouldn't be bound to get tattooed at all. I think the jury have got that point, Mr. Foxley. If your lordship pleases. And... Why all this mystery about your alleged thigh wounds? 
I put it to you that a man who would shoot off his own finger wouldn't hesitate to inflict some superficial injury to his thighs if it was worthwhile. You'd better ask your friend Wilney that. Am I not doing so? No, you are not. <laughs> now, only a few more questions. Where were you educated? Eton and Sandhurst. I see Wellney was educated at an elementary school in Montreal. Again, I take your word for it. He would never have had the opportunity or the chance of learning Latin or Greek. Perhaps he didn't miss much. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell me the names of some of the Latin authors you studied? I don't remember any. I was sheltered. Oh, I, I won't ask you to translate, but... Can you tell me the name of a single Latin author? I tell you, I was shell-shocked. I remember nothing pre-war. Well, would it help you if I suggested a name or two? Do you remember Homer, Demosthenes? They might be Dutch, for all I remember. Oh, that's rather unkind of me, learned friends, little tramp. Sir Mark Ludden went into the rifle brigade. Yes. And served with them for something like seven years before the war. Yes, and I remember nothing of it at all. I'm not ashamed for the reason for it. I don't want to be shell-shocked out of all the memories of youth. Here am I, a man of 40, over 40, and for practical purposes, my recollections of life started about 10 years ago. Silence! Silence! And tell me this, then. If this alleged loss of memory was so complete, how was it you were able to remember your pre-war engagement and the lady's name at Hobheim Prison Camp. Huh? If you insist on an answer, I will give it, Mr. Foxley. Though I'd rather not. I can well believe that. Tell the jury, please. Well, I might have forgotten. I might have continued to forget my engagement and even my fiancée's name. But some of her letters were in my pocket when I was taken prisoner. And later letters from her naturally revived my recollection. I should say I very largely relearned the details of my family and hers from my fiancé's letters. Well, now, can you produce any letters written by Sir Mark Ludden from Hopheim to his home in which he makes any reference to being either shell-shocked or deprived of memory or tattooed? I haven't got any of my own letters here. No, 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 but if you were allowed time to secure them, could you produce any reference to any of these things? I, I can't say after all these years. Oh, think, sir. Oh, very likely not. You see, I didn't want my fiancée to know how bad my shell shock was. She might have... Well, she might what? She might have hesitated about marrying a man like that. Why? She might have been afraid of his brain. Ah, one last question. Yes? I have here some specimens of Sir Mark's pre-war and prison handwriting and your post-war handwriting. Well? Well, they're rather different, aren't they? Shoot off your first finger and see if your handwriting is the same. Did you shoot off yours? No, I did not. But Wellney did. If I'm Wellney, <coughs> what became of Ludden? A most interesting question which I don't propose to answer now. I don't, uh, I don't really know there's much I need to try to clear up by re-examination, Mark. 
In spite of my learned friend's curiosity, are you still quite certain that you are yourself? Yes, sir. Sir Wilfred, I, I'm more certain than I ever was. Who first suggested you were not? That Canadian, uh, Buckingham. Tell the jury how he intervened. Yes, certainly. Two years ago, he came to Ingworth Hall and asked to see me. Under what name did he ask for you? My own name, of course. Mark Ludden. Uh-huh. Well... He was, or said he was penniless, and he asked for money. Mm. I gave him a tenner for old time's sake. That is where I made the mistake. Why? He didn't think it enough. He became very abusive. I had to send for the keepers to have him turned out of the park. Uh, perhaps one day we may encounter Captain Buckingham. Perhaps. Uh, one last question. Mm, yes. About those two marks. What inspired you to get to Tood at Hobheim? I believe it was really the sight of the letters on Wellney's arm which put the idea into my head. Uh. Then, as time hung so heavily on our hands and I heard it was a long job, I, I thought I'd be tattooed. What was the underlying idea of selecting the initials of your wife's maiden name? Tell the jury. Well, one summer the prisoners died like flies from cholera. It occurred to me that I might easily die at that camp. and I, I thought I'd like my fiancé, if I did die, to know... Well... That I carried her initials to my grave. Yes. <laughs> Sounds romantic, but uh, well, of course, uh, some of us are. Yes, of course. Well, I have no doubt the jury will be able to understand that sentiment, Sir Mark. Thank you. You may leave the box. Thank you, Sir Wilfred. Lady Ludden! Lady Ludden! Take the book in your right hand. You swear by almighty God... One moment. I don't want to appear to interfere with the conduct of the case by counsel of your experience, Sir Wilfred, but... Um, no, no, I should welcome any suggestions. Of course, I am not in any way prejudging the issues, but in view of the plaintiff's own evidence and other evidence, which I must assume to be your, at your disposal, is it really necessary to impose on Lady Ludden the strain of giving evidence? I ought to give evidence for my husband. I promise... One moment, Lady Lund. Uh, your Lordship will appreciate that my friend, Mr. Foxley, might feel justified in allowing himself certain comment if he were denied the opportunity of cross-examining Lady Lund. And what do you say, Mr. Foxley? Oh, I entirely agree with your Lordship. Now, this lady's evidence under the peculiar circumstances could carry my friend's case no further. And I hope I, I needn't assure the court that the very responsible paper which I represent has no desire to add in any way to the poignancy of Lady Ludden's position. I am much obliged, my friend. I was confident that would be so, Mr. Foxley. Then, Lady Ludden, you'll be relieved, I feel sure, to be free from the necessity of giving any evidence. My lord, of course I must do what you think best. Yes, you can leave the box now, Lady Ludden. If you find the strain too great, you can, of course, leave the court. Thank you, my lord. I couldn't leave the court. I uh, don't think we can go any further today, Sir Wilfred. Are you calling any more witnesses? I may, of course, have to ask your lordship's indulgence to call rebutting evidence at a later stage. Subject to that, I only propose to call the witnesses I've indicated, and Sir Eric Fulsham, the well-known surgeon. Then, Mr. Foxley, uh, we ought to be able to begin the case for the defence tomorrow afternoon. Undoubtedly, my lord. Mm. And I shall try to emulate my learned friend's uncharacteristic brevity in opening. That will leave me equally indebted to you both. (laughs) (laughs) 
following afternoon, about 3 p.m., the court is again in full session. Mr. Thomas Foxley, KC, has risen and is now delivering his opening speech for the defendant's newspaper. With regard to the general case which will be laid before you by me and my learned friend on behalf of the great newspaper which we represent, members of the jury, I have purposely refrained from telling you even the nature of the evidence by which we shall sustain our case. I want you to hear the details from the witnesses themselves and leave you to form your own impressions. I venture to think you will be surprised. As I said to you at the start, if we are right, we shall have discharged a public duty. We shall have exposed a cold, calculated fraud on the tenderest affections, on a devoted tenantry, on a patriotic electorate. If we are wrong, we shall have to pay for it. You will make us pay a lot for it. We ought to pay a lot for it, but are we wrong? Now, let me review quite shortly the evidence put before you by the plaintiff uh, to convince you that he is an English baronet, an English officer, an English MP. Well, first, there was the plaintiff's own evidence. I'll say nothing about that. I'll leave you to form your own opinion about his shell-shocked memory. I will only make this observation. Wouldn't it have been appallingly inconvenient for the plaintiff in a case like this if a chance shell had not enabled him to refuse an answer to every question on the whole of his life up to ten years ago. Now, members of the jury, to pass from the plaintiff, whom else did my learned friend call? We had his parents-in-law. How far did their evidence take us? You will recall, members of the jury, what they said. We have never had a moment's doubt of his identity, and we have not now. You may well come to the conclusion, members of the jury, that these parents-in-law would be stultifying their own discharge of their own duties in the custody of their daughter if they admitted any doubt of the plaintiff's identity. Oh, come, Mr. Foxley, is that really oh, fair? Really, my lord, I must protest against my learned friend's gratuitous interruption. I deprecate interruption of counsel's speeches unless they involve correction of facts proved in evidence. I do hope my learned friend will allow me just a few undisturbed minutes to conclude my speech. Lastly, members of the jury... As I was about to say, we had Sir Eric Fulsham, the famous specialist. Now, he gave evidence on two points, shell shock and thigh wounds. Did you really derive much assistance from him? Now, do correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't his evidence boil down to this? A shell shock may produce a vast variety of effects, nearly all of them subjective. That is to say, for practical purposes, not visible to simple souls like you and me. <laughs> now, did we need to drag here the busiest and most fashionable surgeon in Harley Street to learn that? Then Sir Eric went on to say that he found on both of the plaintiff's thigh marks indicating some form of penetration that it was impossible after this lapse of time to speak with certainty. They were not uh, inconsistent with bullet wounds and, oh, really, members of the jury, what is the value of that? 
It still leaves us reduced to this dilemma. Either the plaintiff is Sir Mark Ludden, who we know was shot through both thighs, or, being Frank Welney, he has deliberately produced injuries corresponding to Sir Mark's. I really would be grateful if my friend would indicate how the cooperation of his doctor would have assisted the solution of that dilemma. I really would be grateful if my learned friend would refrain from these constant interruptions. Yes, Mr. Foxley. Your Lordship, please. Well, members of the jury, I shall now conclude. Our publication was intended, as is obvious, to be a challenge which no one in public life could possibly evade. It has been accepted. It had to be accepted. Members of the jury, I am confident your verdict will vindicate the public spirit of my clients. That is really all I shall say at present, and I shall now, with the assistance of my learned junior, Mr. Hemsby, call the evidence for the defense. Mr. Hemsby, call Patrick Buckingham. Patrick Buckingham. Take the book in your right hand. You swear by almighty God. I swear by almighty God. The evidence you shall give. The evidence I shall give. Shall be the truth. Shall be the truth. The whole truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. And nothing but the truth. Your name is Patrick Buckingham, and during the war, you were a captain in the 7th Ontario Pioneers. That's right. You were taken prisoner at Ypres the end of April 1915. I was. And were sent to Halfheim Camp. Yes. How many British officers were there? After the cholera outbreak in 1915, only three of us were left. Mm -hmm. Him, Mark Ludden, and me. Who is Kim? Welney, of course. Now, how do you know the plaintiff is Welney? Same as I know anyone else by his fate, of course. I was in prison with him for about three years. We were both Canadians, so we palled up. Mark Ludden was a good guy, but very English. <laughs> not stuck up, you understand, but not really pally. Keep myself to myself, sort of sportsman. Yes, now, was there any resemblance between Welney and Ludden? Well, up to a point, they might have been twins. But he was always gray as a badger, and Ludden hadn't a gray hair. What? Not even after his experience in that fire on the mark? <laughs> not him. I never heard of him being in a fire. No, of course not. Now, we have seen for ourselves how... Terribly shell-shocked the plaintiff is. Whilst you were at Hofheim with Sir Mark Ludden, did you notice his shell-shock? No, I didn't. Uh, he was as lame as an old crow with thigh wounds. That was his only trouble. Are you sure of that? Well, how do you think we heard all about his family history and estates if his memory was all shell-shocked away? I thought he was so reserved. Yeah. Oh, really, please. Uh, so he was uh, reserved up to a point, but... Uh, about a year after we'd been there together, word came that his father died and that he was a baronet. So uh, he had to start and explain things a bit. Welney took a lot more interest in him then. Seemed kind of uh, fascinated by the title. And you say that Ludden was able to explain things? Sure, as well as you could. Yes. Now, we've heard that Frank Welney had lost a finger. He had, but I never knew till yesterday he'd shot it off himself. And that F.W. was tattooed on his right forearm. That's right, sir. And the letters were the same size and pattern as the E.W. on his arm I saw in court yesterday. Ah, now that's very interesting. Now, do you remember Sir Mark Ludden's tattoo? Ludden never had anything tattooed. Ah. <laughs> Too much of the English gentleman. I can believe it. 
Do you remember Sir Mark losing his finger when he escaped? Of course I don't. Nothing wrong with his arms or hand then. Thank you. Now, let's get on quickly to October 1918. What happened then? Well, our guards were reduced, so we tried to escape. Now, who were we? Ludden, Welney, and I. Yeah. We got off all right at the first attempt, and we trekked towards the Belgian frontier, moving at night. That meant getting over about uh, 250 miles. 250 miles to the frontier, yes, well. About a month later, a few days before the armistice, we reached the outskirts of a small town, Stavolo, uh, just over the frontier by Malmedy. Uh-huh, what happened then? Well, it was my turn to forage for food. Welney or I always had to do it. You see, we got hold of civvies. Ludden was in uniform all the time, so he had to lie low. Yes, well, 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 you went off to forage near Stavolet. Yeah, I, I went off, and I left the other two in a wood about half a mile up the hill outside the town. When I got back with some grub, Welney had done a bunk. Done a bunk? Well, he disappeared. Only Ludden was there, and he, uh... Yes? What had happened? Well, I reckon we'll never know the exact truth. Tell the jury what you saw. I saw Mark Ludden where I'd left them both. He was lying on the ground with his head bashed in. Any signs of a struggle? There sure was. Ludden's clothes were more red than khaki. His arm had been smashed to a pulp. Which arm? His right arm. He was smothered in blood, face and arms. And you say that there was no trace of Welney? No. And uh, no trace of anything in Ludden's pockets, either. Well, what did you do? Well, I lifted him as well as I could in the dark, and I took him along to the door of the first big house. I left him on the step, and then I ran away like hell. And what did you do then? I shoved along in the right direction, keeping an eye open for our friend over there. Oh, whom do you mean? Welney. Welney. I didn't want him to do me in, too. Uh, when did you meet Welney? Uh, <laughs> uh, when did you meet the plaintiff again. I was wandering around the country about two years ago on Shank's Pony. <laughs> I came to some village in Norfolk with a fine old park and model cottages. Sort of place that makes you feel that if you were the squire, you wouldn't change places with a millionaire. Yes. Huh? I had a drink in the pub, and I asked whose place it was. And they told me it was Sir Mark Ludden's. Well, I pricked up my ears. I knew poor old Mark was dead, but I went along. I thought it might be some sort of relation who'd come across with a bit after I'd told him about the last hours of Sir Mark. Well? I went along and I asked to see the squire. They told me he was out. Just then, who should come up but my old pal Welney? Quite the squire, too. Good gun over his shoulder. Damn nice dog at his heels. You could have knocked me over with a feather. The same feather would have knocked him over, too. Well, I recovered first, though I hadn't seen him since the night he left poor old Ludden mur murdered. Mm-hmm. I asked him what the devil he was doing there, and he said, Who the hell is this? To whom did he say that? To his butler, Judge. Uh, he was standing beside us. I said, uh, None of your jokes, Frank. You know Pat Buckingham just as well as he knows you. Yes, what then? Well, he seemed to pull himself together a bit, and uh, he asked me to have a drink. We went into a really fine room, and when he'd shut the door behind us, I said, uh, What are you doing here, Frank? And I remember he said, Why do you keep calling me Frank? My name is Mark. None of your nonsense, I said. It was dirty work of yours, Frank, to wind up poor old Mark like that. Then he got angry and the feathers began to fly and, well, I came out a damn sight quicker than I went in. You must remember that you're in an English court, Captain Buckingham. What do you mean? Well, he had me chucked out and that made me sore. Well? I soon figured out that he was pretending to be Sir Mark Ludden. So I made it my business to find out the man who ought to be in Sir Mark's shoes 
I have his house and title and estate. And who was that? Captain Gerald Ludden. Yeah. He lived in the next village. I had what you might call a heart-to-heart talk with him. There you are. I suppose you mean he was interested in what you told him. I've never seen a man more interested in anything. Yes, I dare say that might be the case. Now, I'll ask you only one more question. Have you, now that you've been watching him for two days, the least doubt of the identity of the plaintiff? No. He's Frank Welney. Thank you. Captain Buckingham. Captain Buckingham, am I right in assuming that your suggestion is that Frank Walney murdered Sir Mark Ludden? Of course he did. I left them together. What sort of time was it? About eight, nine o'clock. A few days before the armistice. It would be dark. It was dark. I told you so. Then how can you be so sure that it was poor old Mark and not Walney that you carried? His face, you said, was smothered in blood. No doubt about it. If I hadn't known his shape when I carried him, I'd have known his uniform. I tell you, he was the only one of the party in uniform. I do, sir. How long ago was your call at Ingworth? Just over a year ago. What employment have you had since? Oh, I've seen different people about the case. Mm-hmm. What have you lived on? Well, different people have given me money. <laughs> now, aren't you lucky? I wonder who. The Gazette has given me a bit. That sounds most generous of them. How much? Five pounds a week to keep me in England. And who else has given you money? Captain Gerald Ludden sends me a tenner a month. Seems to be a generous, open-handed sportsman. <laughs> but what made the Gazette so lavish? How should I know? It's uh, some years now since you were demobilized. It is. And where have you lived during those years, Captain Buckingham? Different places. Hmm. I wonder if I can guess some of them. Did you spend nine months at uh, Liverpool? In jail? Beg pardon, Judge. Uh, is the barrister allowed to go into my... Private trouble? Certainly is, in cross-examination. Answer learned counsel's questions. They are directed to the point whether you are a person to be believed on your oath. Did I guess the right address for those nine months in 1920? Yes. That was for false pretenses? Yes. And then did you spend 18 months at uh, Newcastle? Yes. In prison? What was that for? Same sort of thing. Wasn't it for blackmail? Something of the sort. Some people might describe you as a professional blackmailer. And some people would be wrong. And you're at it again, aren't you? What do you mean? Look at that letter. The usher will bring it to you. <coughs> That's your letter, isn't it? Yes. Written a year ago to the plaintiff? Yes. Hand it back. Nice, gentlemanly letter, wasn't it? It's the letter of a stupid fool on his uppers. A pretty effort in blackmail. What would you have done if you'd had the shock of getting the thousand pounds you demanded in the letter? I'd have cleared off and said nothing. I suggest you'd have bled Sir Mark Ludden white as veal again and again. No, I'd have left him alone. Although you say he had murdered your friend and secured his wife by the foulest treachery? He was no concern of mine. No, the blackmail was your concern. I think the jury will know what to think of you and your evidence. You may leave the box. Call for Dr. Emil Flodo. You speak English, I take it. Yes, certainly, yes. Take the book in your right hand. 
You swear by Almighty God? I swear by Almighty God. The evidence you shall give? The evidence I shall give. Shall be the truth? Shall be the truth. The whole truth? The whole truth. And nothing but the truth? And nothing but the truth. Your name is Emile Florent, and you practice as a doctor of medicine in the town of Savalo on the old Belgian frontier. Oui, oui, I, I mean yes. I believe you understand English, doctor. Uh, perfectly, monsieur, perfectly. I think you act as physician and surgeon to the Hospice d'Alenay at Savalo. For more than 20 years, that is so. That is a public lunatic asylum. For the poor and friendless at the expense of the state. Do you remember something which happened two days before the armistice in 1918? Yes, it come back to me distinctly. A boy summoned me at midnight to a farmhouse just outside Malmedy. It was raining, I remember, in water spouts. But I sell it forth in spite of it. Who knew what mischief I might not be able to avert? Uh, who indeed, doctor? Well? On arrival at the farm, there on the doorstep lay a corpse in very old English uniform. You call it khaki. Mm -hmm. I knelt down, I felt a pulse. The heart. The corpse was not quite dead, but also nearly a corpse has made no difference. In uh, what condition was the body? This skull has been fractured with truly cruel lacerations by some heavy blunt instrument. The face is drenched in blood. Slowly the blood still oozes from the right hand and arm. Evidently, there has been a terrible struggle. The wounded man has been attacked with the butt of a rifle or some heavy club. He has tried to protect his poor head with his right arm, and in the struggle, he has received heavy blows, ever so many in succession, on his arm. His poor arm and elbow is smashed, and then his brutal assailant completed his murder with some heavy weapon. Almost certainly, as I say, the butt of a rifle or... I'm sorry to interrupt, monsieur, but I want to be quite clear. You are giving us your conjectures of the struggle. You didn't happen to watch it? Ah, no, Dieu merci. <laughs> but sometimes uh, science can be more definite than sight. The injuries told the tale ever so clearly to the trained man. I think the humbler intelligences in this court uh, were able to understand you, Doctor. <laughs> yes, uh, please continue, Doctor. Uh, what did you do? There was no hope of recovery, but I determined to do my best. I dressed his wounds at the farm, and next morning had him removed to my hospice for mental cases, where I amputated his right arm. And then? Gradually, a miracle occurred. Sometimes it so happened. My poor, unfortunate, recovered completely, in a physical sense. But the appalling concussion of the blows which so nearly killed him has deprived him of all intelligence. Uh, can he speak? I cannot say he has a tongue. He has not ever used it. He cannot understand a word written or spoken English or French. He cannot think. What became of your patient? He is alive, I gather. Oh, yes, my lord. He has ever since been an inmate. We call him uh, numero 15. Number 15. Why? Well, uh, what other name could we give him? We knew him not. And that has ever since been the number of his cell. I believe you produced one or two exhibits associated with this sad case. Oh, yes, in this parcel of mine. Uh, thank you, William. Thank you very much. 
Now, <clears throat> this is the khaki jacket numero 15 was wearing at the time. See how it is stained with torrents of blood. It has lost the right sleeve. It is unfortunate. I had to cut that off to examine the arm. It could not be helped. Uh, unless my learned friend will admit it, I shall prove later, my lord, that the badges and buttons of this jacket were worn by officers of the Rifle Brigade. I'll admit, my lord, the, that exhibit is the Rifle Brigade jacket, but I shall ask your lordship at a later stage to let me call the plaintiff on this point, which was never put for him, I'm afraid. Well, my learned friend's quite right. I cannot object. Very well, Sir Wilfred. I'll remember. Uh, do you produce anything else, Doctor? Yes. I have brought with me another exhibit from Belgium. Numero 15. Number 15. Yes, my lord, that so unfortunate body without a brain. May my assistant bring him in? I am sure my lord will allow it. Who is this man, Doctor? That is Numero 15. Uh, may I come down from this box and uh, display uh, certain features? I am sure my lad will permit it. Now, as you see, that uh, right arm was amputated to save his life. Uh, there are traces of thigh injuries, I believe. A bullet or bullets have traversed both thighs here. Uh, I, I dare say your lordship will allow the jury to see those wounds at the rising of the court in a private room. In the presence of both parties, yes. Yes, your lordship, please. Now, Dr. Claudon, if you please resume your place in the box. Uh, back in the case. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> now, there is an important question in this case, Doctor. Ah, oui, monsieur. It is whether this poor man's real name is Welney or whether his real name is Sir Mark Ludden. That is indeed an interesting question, and poor numero 15, he does not know, he cannot tell. But can you tell us, Doctor, whether the amputated arm had lost a finger or was tattooed with the letters F.W.? Oh, no, I should have seen them. I must have seen them. And the lost finger, that too, I should have seen. Yes. Thank you, Doctor. Sir Wilfred. Uh, I want you, monsieur, to help us all as far as you can in dealing with this mysterious case. I shall be only too happy, Sir Wilfred. Now, just a word about that amputated right arm. Would you swear that that night so many years ago you looked for injured fingers or to two marks? No, no, I, I, I dare not. Would you all these years after destroy a happy marriage and make an innocent child a bastard by swearing that there was no special scars or peculiarities on that arm? Mais monsieur... Uh, no, I, I have a conscience. I, I, I dare not. I knew I could rely on your scruples. Now, about the leg wounds. It has been suggested that he walked about 250 miles in a month. Could he? Oh, no, he could not do so. Of that I am confident. He is absolutely... But if he is Frank Welney, he must have done so. Then he is not Welney. And if he is Loddon, he must have done so. Then he is not Loddon. I tell you, unless he were a superman, he could not walk 250 miles in a month on those poor legs. It comes to this, Doctor, doesn't it? No one can claim to have the least idea who he is. Ah, that is wiser when all is so vague. All I suggest is he can't be Sir Mark Ludden because Sir Mark is alive and well there. <laughs> How could you be mistaken, Sir Wilfred? Evidently, that must be so. 
Merci, monsieur.
If you had given evidence yesterday, would it have been the evidence you are prepared to give today? No. The evidence I promised to give wouldn't have been the same. Lady Ludden, I am sure you don't mean you had promised to give evidence to mislead this court. Oh, no, my lord, of course not. When I told my husband's solicitors what I'd say, I thought... I, I felt sure it was the truth then. Then? I see. Well, Mr. Foxley... If your lordship please. Now, Lady Ludden, did you in 1914 become engaged to Mark Ernest, son and heir of Sir Peter Ludden, baronet of Ingwood Hall in the county of Norfolk? Yes. I believe you were very young at that time. I was only 17. Yes. Uh, did you in April 1919 go through the ceremony of marriage with the plaintiff at Ingworth Church? Yes. Was your husband married to you as Sir Mark Ludden? Yes. Now, only three more questions from me, Lady Ludden. Did Mark Ludden ever write to you from captivity? At regular intervals, after the first two months. Now, I want you to... Search your memory most carefully, as indeed I know you will. Did any of those letters reveal to you any loss of pre-war memory? Mm. No. No. Before he could have heard from me, after he was taken prisoner, he wrote and asked me to wait for him until the war was over. And you did? Yes, I waited. Did he ever complain in those letters of shell shock? He never complained of anything. Never complained of it. Now, one final question, Lady Ludden. Do you now believe your husband, the plaintiff in this action, is really Mark Ludden? Well, Lady Ludden? No. No. He's not Mark Ludden. Enid. Uh, Sir Mark, my client is unwell, my lord. Uh, the plaintiff appears to have fainted, my lord. I, uh, may I suggest... I think perhaps in the circumstances we will adjourn and resume tomorrow at half past ten. The next morning, about 10.30 a.m., the court is again ready for trial and awaiting the arrival of Mr. Justice Tuttington. The judge's clerk has just come in. He's standing at the back of the bench. In a moment, he'll call for silence and the judge will enter. Silence! Silence! <coughs> uh, Mr. Foxley... Mr. Foxley, I see that when I adjourned the court yesterday in view of the plaintiff's sudden indisposition, you had not closed your examination in chief. That is so, my lord. And I shall not distress Lady Ludden by any more questions, my I lord. I see. Uh, Lady Ludden, will you come into the box for Sir Wilfrid's cross-examination? I hope it will be all right. Lady Ludden, your husband is most anxious that I should not cross-examine his wife. You will forgive me if I overrule his wishes? Certainly, Sir Wilfred. You must do your duty. Well, let us begin by clearing up one or two points, Lady Ludden. Yes, Sir Wilfred. Take those to two marks on your husband's arm. When did you first see them? On his return from Germany. What letters were they there, were they then? Just like they are now. E.W. E.W. 
So at least my learned friend was wrong in trying to suggest an F became an E for the purposes of this trial. I've never seen anything but E.W. on his arm. Ah. Now, a word on the subject of the plaintiff's memory. Yes? I think you told me, friend, yesterday that your husband's letters from Germany revealed no loss of memory. Not my husband's letters, Sir Wilfrid. They were marks. Yes, I, I'm not for the moment on the subject of identification, Lady Ludden. Oh, the jury will remember your husband has given his explanation of these letters. Yes. But coming to a later period, it is true, isn't it, that since his return, his memory of pre-war events has been practically a blank. My husband's memory? Oh, yes, it, he's hardly known anything. So there again, whatever the explanation, his loss of memory has not been assumed in order to defeat Mr. Fox. Oh, no, that at least is real enough. I felt sure you would admit that. Now, Lady Ludden, I'm afraid... I must ask you a rather intimate question. Yes. Lady Ludden, did you love your husband when you married him? Not as I loved Mark Ludden. But I felt I ought to. Did you never grow to love him? Yes. Not as I loved Mark. When did you first suspect that, in your opinion... He wasn't so much. It's so terribly difficult to explain. I, I never exactly suspected. Till yesterday. Mm. I see. And yet, even from the first, I, I felt there was something different. Yes. Even when he first came back, something quite different. Something different? There always seemed to be a sort of wall between us. A wall I could never pass through. There were things I could never ask him. Things he would never talk about. And but wasn't that natural, Lady Ludden, after all those years of separation and after all your husband had gone through? He might well wish to forget so much, mightn't he? I tried so hard to think so, but now I understand. Now you understand? Since yesterday. You mean your suspicions became more definite yesterday? Yes, after hearing the evidence, after seeing... See? Don't distress yourself, Lady Ludden. <laughs> then apart from yesterday's evidence, you would not be so certain. I don't know. Yet if your husband were, in fact, Frank Wellner, numero count should be Mark Ludden. Is that what you mean? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know my husband must be Wellner. I only know he isn't Mark. You mean you don't believe he is Mark? I don't believe he's Mark. Well, isn't that the same thing? Not quite, Lady Ludden. Would you swear to recognize... Numero counts? No. No. That's just it. Huh. I couldn't. Well, that's the terrible part. It... Oh, it's too awful. I can't recognize him at all. I can't. I can't. But I saw my husband's face when poor Numero counts came into court. I saw then by his look. He recognized him even if I can't. Lady Ludden, since giving your evidence yesterday, have you asked your husband for an explanation of that look? No, I haven't spoken to him. I spent the night at my father's house. And your husband? He was... He... I suppose he was alone. Alone? And at this crisis of his fate... Oh, don't drive me, Sir Wilfred. If he could explain... Why hadn't he explained? Why, why hadn't he had all these years to explain? And, and I've never heard a word of explanation. Not a word of all this. 
Why should I first learn of Frank Wellney only after this libel's published? Well, I'm his wife. Couldn't he trust me? Didn't I wait for him? Wait and wait and wait. Haven't I given him everything all these years because I thought he was Mark? Lady Ludden, supposing your husband could prove he was Sir Mark? If he could prove. If he could prove. Sir Wilfred, perhaps we can wait a few minutes for Lady Ludden to recover before you continue your cross-examination. I don't propose to ask any more questions, Lord. Uh, nor I, my lord. And I shall call no further evidence. Then that closes the case for the defence. Yes, my lord. Uh, well, Sir Wilfred, have you decided to adopt any particular course? The position, my lord, is very difficult. At any rate, I fear I must yield to my client's insistent desire that I should exercise the right your lordship reserved to me of recalling the plaintiff on the question of the uniform jacket which was produced by Dr. Flodon yesterday. I cannot prevent the plaintiff going into the box again. My lord, there are times when a client can insist on controlling his own litigation. And I feel bound to add that Sir Eric Fulsham is genuinely anxious about the mental consequence if he's not allowed to do so. Oh, very well. He has the right to give his evidence on that one point. Sir Mark, will you go into the box? Thank you. He can, if he likes, give his evidence sitting down. No, uh, oh, thank you, my lord. I prefer to stand. Sir Mark, you had an opportunity yesterday of seeing the uniform jacket produced by Dr. Flodon? Yes. And you admit it's a rifle brigade jacket? Most certainly. I have no doubt it was mine. Silence! Silence! You identify it as yours? Yes, my lord. Do you mean your uniform was on number 15 when he was found by Dr. Flordo? Certainly. I should very much like to know why. I'm coming to that, my lad. Sir Mark, yes. can you tell the jury how Sir Mark Ludden's jacket came to be on numerocars? Yes, Sir Wilfred. Buckingham was speaking the truth when he said he went foraging that night, leaving Wellney and me together. He was away a very long time. We thought he'd been caught. So Wellney went to look for him. How was it Wellney went to look for Buckingham instead of his companion, Sir Mark Ludden? I always had to keep in the background, my lord. I was the only one in uniform. I see, yes. Wellney went to look for Buckingham. He was away for hours, too. At last, I began to think he'd been caught or shot. There were a lot of odd shots going off that night. When, when neither Wellney nor Buckingham came back, I began to creep along the edge of the wood towards the town. Suddenly... Round the corner, I bumped into a German soldier. He was as frightened as I was. Without a word, he fired from his hip and shot off my finger. That is when I lost that. I hadn't understood it was as late in the escape as that. Yes, my lord. That's why Buckingham was speaking the truth again when he said he never knew I had lost a finger. Tell the jury, Sir Mark, what yes, happened then. Yes, yes. I, I dashed in and I wrenched the rifle out of the man's hands. He put up his arm to save himself, and I brought the butt down on his head. He dropped like a stone. Yes. It was horrible. Horrible. I, I hate to remember it even now. Yes. Please go on. The killing of a German soldier by an English prisoner of war, 40 miles behind the German lines, would not be treated as 
death in action. I see. Yes, I dare say. Go it, it seemed my only chance of getting through was to get out of my uniform and get into a German one, so I changed uniforms with the man I killed. Uh, I thought I'd killed. Of course, I, I took everything out of my own pockets. Then I dashed off for all I was worth. And if I hadn't made the change, I should never have got through. Is there anything else you wish to add to me? I'm sorry, Sir Wilfred, I didn't quite catch... I, I'm so sorry. Is there anything else you would wish to add? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, only this. Unless someone changed the uniform again after I got away, that poor devil whom Dr. Flaudon... Of course, my lord. Now, are you quite sure, um, witness, that you're fit for cross-examination? Yes, sir, I think Now, so. what I mean is, whatever view the jury may take... There is no doubt that you had a great shock. Yes, I've had a great shock. However, will you answer this question? I'll try. When you first gave evidence, did I hear you take the oath? Of course. To tell the truth, the whole truth? Yes. Why didn't you tell the whole truth then? I thought I did. You thought you did. Didn't I ask you question after question after question about the circumstances of your separation from Wellney that night at Stabler? Yes. Why didn't we hear a word of this encounter with a German soldier? I didn't think it mattered. You didn't think it mattered. And why no word of that wonderful quick change of uniform? I, I tell you, I didn't think it mattered then. Then? If it was true, why suppress it? Can't you see it was only yesterday? I knew that that poor devil was still alive. I might be well nailed, well named might be mm -hmm. me. What happened to that German could make no difference till you want her to associate me with that sort of thing. What sort of thing? I did what I did in hot blood. What did you do to that German of yours? I told you. Have you? Have you? Now, what are you keeping back? The way I killed him. I have a note of what you said. I brought the butt down on his head. He dropped like a stone. Yes. Yes. Now, is that all the truth? I want an answer. Have we got it all even now? No. Not all. Not all. All right, I'll tell you. Ah, at last. My first blow smashed his arm. He gave a dreadful scream. More noises would have brought up some of his friends. He, he was down, he was helpless. I saw red. I, I had to finish him off. I simply had to. If I was to have a chance of getting away, getting home to see my wife... Take your time, take your time. How many more blows? Oh, how can I tell blow after blow till the head was a pulp and the face was... Uh, I can't think of it. I won't think of it. I've tried to forget it all these years. I won't remember it. I've never told my wife. I couldn't tell my wife. <laughs> there, was, there was always that between us, keeping us apart... Oh, she told the truth, all right. It was the truth. Never since the war, never have I been the marked Ludden she promised to marry. So we seem to be right. You are a man capable of a brutal murder. Did you ever serve in the war, Mr. Foxley? No. But, well, really... Learned counsel do not expose themselves to interrogation when they are cross-examining. Yes, Your Lordship, please. Now, can you produce a shred of evidence that would substantiate your story? No. It depends on my word. With nothing to... Su Let me see it, please. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Members of the jury, this appears to be the identity disc of a German soldier giving his name as Karl Geist and his regimental number. Sir Mark, yes. you swear this was on the body of the German soldier whose uniform you exchanged for your own that night at Stavelo? I do, my lord. After Dr. Flaudan's evidence yesterday, I didn't drove specially home last night to Norfolk to get it. And apart from your own evidence, there is nothing to prove it originally belonged to this particular German soldier of the millions of German soldiers involved in the war? Apart from my sworn word, no, my lord. Nothing. It seems to me it becomes increasingly difficult for a jury to give a verdict in this case. Let me say this here and now, my lord. I only want the verdict of the jury for the sake of one person. And that person is my son. I've already lost the only verdict I wanted for myself. My wife... Silence! Oh, uh, something... Something has just come back to me. What is it? Uh, may I just look at my jacket? Certainly, Lord. but I don't see how it can help us. Now, Usher, pass the jacket uh, to the plaintiff. Thank you. Now, my lord, will someone lend me a knife? A knife? What for? I want to cut something I sewed in the back of my breast pocket. Something you sewed in? Yes. Two fifty-mark notes and I a photograph. I don't know that we can let you mutilate an exhibit. My lord, I've admitted it is my jacket. And you, you can see there where I've sewn it up. Now, if I might have a knife to... Just to cut these stitches. Uh, you may. Uh, who has a pocket knife? I have, my lord. Asha. Now, you see, before I started to escape from Hobheim with Wellney and Buckingham, I wasn't too sure of my companions or what might happen to things in my pockets. <laughs> I don't seem to be far wrong. So I sewed inside the lining of this breast pocket a photograph and two fifty-mark notes. And, yes... They're still here. And uh, here is the photograph. Yes, this is the photograph. Now I remember. Yes, I remember. It all begins to come back to me, my lord. This is the first photograph my wife gave me when we were first engaged. I took it with me to France. I always had it in that pocket. Usher, will you pass me that photograph, please? Mm. Thank you. I see something is written on it. To darling... Need that be read aloud, my lord? I think it should. Members of the jury, on this photograph, these words are written. To darling Tony, with all my love, Enid. With all my love. I don't quite understand the inscription. Does your wife call you Tony? Oh, my lord, never. Then uh, why is Tony written here? Uh, it's so long since I saw that photo, I... Uh, I remember. Yes, I remember. She used to call me Tony at first. Uh, then I think my people didn't like it, so it was dropped, I forget when. Uh, sometime before the war. That's true, my lord, quite true. I can you recall why she chose the name of Tony? It's beginning to come back to me, yes. That photograph was taken at Eton on the day of our engagement. Yes, I see. It's taken by an Eton photographer. Yes, my wife was there with her brother. That's when we got engaged. 
That very afternoon, we went to the photographer. Yes, but why the name Tony? She heard all my friends calling me Anthony, so she said she'd call me Tony. Uh, Anthony, why should they call you Anthony when your name is Mark? A play on Mark Anthony, I suppose. Oh. You see, I was always Anthony Ludden at Eton. The Lord, I... Uh, uh. Take your time, Sir Mark, take your time. I feel, uh, my Lord, it's become my duty to take a, a most unusual course. Uh, my clients are far too responsible to want to snatch a verdict. Really, Mr. Hotchley? I am glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, my junior, uh, Mr. Hemsby, had the advantage of being educated at Eton, which, uh, your lordship may know, is a very large school. He tells me that whilst he has no recollection of being there but a Mark Ludden and can't recognize the plaintiff, he remembers perfectly well that there was a boy there in his time uh, known as Anthony Ludden. We seem to be getting rather away from normal evidence. What did you say that name was, Mr. Foxley? My junior's name, yes. Hemsby. Hemsby? Yes. Hemsby. Hemsby. Uh-huh. I can't recognize Mr. Hemsby in his wig. Should I be allowed, my lord, to ask Mr. Hemsby to take it off? I have... My lord. You'd better resume your wig, Mr. Hemsby. <laughs> my lord, um, it's abundantly clear the plaintiff has been the victim of an appalling mistake. If your lordship will give me uh, two minutes to talk to my learned friend, Sir Wilfred, uh, I think the jury will not be troubled in this case. I think one minute should be ample, Mr. Foxley. One minute. Uh, Sir Mark, you may leave the box. Thank you. Thank you very much, my lord. Uh, one or two cases you've got to possibly... Sir Mark, come here. I must have you here. I'm just speaking to Mr. Foxley. I'll leave it to you, Sir Wilfred. I... I must go to my wife. Sir Mark, you must come I don't here. care. I don't care. Oh, Enid, my darling. Oh, well. My lord. Uh, well, Sir Wilfred? My lord, I, I, I can't get any assistance from me client. I had noticed that, Sir Wilfred. <laughs> uh, which leaves me to the tender mercies of my friend, Mr. Foxley. You mean my generous instinct, Sir Wilfred. <laughs> have you agreed? We have. We have, my lord. I am sure the jury, who have been most patient in this case, would like to know the figure of Mr. Foxley's generous instincts. Uh, yes, Sir Wilfred? I've uh, agreed to accept the quite nominal sum. Nominal? Uh, yes, my lord. Under the amazing circumstances, the nominal sum of 25,000 pounds. And... The fullest possible apology and a complete withdrawal of every allegation by the Daily Gazette. Your Lordship will appreciate that this action was not brought to recover money. Quite clearly not. And I hope something more than money has been recovered by this trial. <laughs>